Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Phil Oakley. How are you doing, Phil? Very good, thanks, John. Nice holiday? Yep, good, thank you. Feeling refreshed? No, I'm a bit tired this week. <laughs> Great. And uh, once again, Michael Taylor. How are you, Michael? I'm good, thanks, John. How yeah, are you? Not too bad. You're still in town, which good. is why we've got I you on. And, 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 <laughs> and, 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 you know, as if by sort of some sort of prescient magic, we talked about Burford last week. and We did. That is the story of the week. It's, so it's I'm glad you're still in town. the week. I'm yeah, glad indeed. you're still in town. We can talk about that. I mean, there's been absolutely loads of results uh, this week. Phil, you've covered quite a lot of them in your Alpha report, including one that I know you're very keen to talk about that, that missed the magazine cutoff. But which uh, which uh, released its results today, which is Hargreaves Lansdowne. Yeah, maybe maybe let's start with that before we come into the uh, to the to the Burford meat <laughs> the, uh, of this uh, this podcast sandwich. Let's start with Hargreaves. Well, it was more of the same from Hargreaves, really. Just incredibly profitable business. It doesn't seem to. It's probably a bit too early to see if it's been affected by uh, by what's gone on with the the Woodford saga. And that's, I'm not prepared to really go over ground there because I think it's been done to death. But again, this is just just staggering, staggering financial performance from this business. Just, I think the word you know you could you could get to the situation where you could legitimately say it verges on the obscenely profitable, based on what it does. And I just you know I could continue to be. <sighs> stunned by its business model and its charges and how there's so much inertia amongst the customer base that keeps those profits high. I think the thing for me that really st- stuck out to me today was the the margin it's earning on its customers' cash balances. You know, 72 basis points. And that's, that's up on, on where it yeah, was Yeah, it was 48 ago. basis points a year ago. I mean, it's quite extraordinary given that everywhere else you have, you have to pay to keep your money. Oh, yeah, we, we, <laughs> we have a theme in the world now where, you, you know, you, get, you, have to pay to, you have to pay to save money. And, you know, gilt yields are 0.5 or 50 basis points. And Hargreaves Lansdowne's making 72 basis points on, on customer cash balances, which is almost the same as it's making off its... Um, it's managed funds. I think that's quite interesting um, in the context of what you talk about in the introduction to our report. And in fact, what Michael, we talked about last week uh, and your own cash position, that many people who do like to play the markets are actually quite heavily in cash at the moment. So not only are they making more money on their cash balances than, than they were a year ago, but probably more people are, more, are sitting on more cash. I mean, it's quite, it's quite mad. I mean, you, what, what was it you said to me last week, Michael, about your... All gen- generally bearish. I'm not all cash, but cash is my largest position, and that's purely based on charts. So I'm I'm not like Phil, who You're actually does the hard work. No, 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 no. I'm not all cash. No. You told me you were all cash. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. You've done something this week, haven't you? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've got some skin in the game. Okay, but you told me this week that you'd done something quite interesting around gold. Yeah, tell us, tell us about it, Bill. Well, I've, I've been quite. I mean, we talked about the gold price what, what three, four weeks ago, and you know, in a world of negative interest rates, the 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 foregone alternative of holding gold, which all the bears of gold say don't own gold because it doesn't pay any interest. Well, if I'm having to have negative interests on government bonds, then gold actually doesn't look too bad in comparison. And, um, you know, you see what's going on with uh, um, central banks across the world um, cutting interest rates, um, printing money, 
um, this is a good background for gold. And you throw in geopolitical concerns about what's going on in in the Gulf. You've got the U.S. trade dispute. You've got quite a good background background for gold. And you know, my main reason to be mildly upbeat on gold um, is that it seems that the central banks across the world want to destroy money. And, you know, you can't destroy gold, really. I mean, obviously, you can melt it. But um, well, it's still there, though. It's still gold, still, isn't yeah, it? It's so. still there. And, you know, I think, I think you know, I'm, I'm not a gold bug, um, but I think there's a lot of quite unfair comments made around gold bulls because they see it as, you know, a barbarous relic, I think it's been called, hasn't it? And Warren Buffett's been very dismissive about gold. But well, it depends what depends what time period you want to look at. I mean, gold gold has proven to be, um, you know, quite good good place for your money in, in different states of the world, different periods of time. I think I think Warren Buffett's objections to gold came at a very different point in where we are in terms of the sort of market and economic cycles as well. Yeah, but you look at where you have negative interest rates. The arguments that he has put forward make make little sense, and and, and also in the context of what you can buy from an equity perspective, which you touched on in your report as well, which you've touched on in your column in the magazine. Yeah, well, gold, gold actually since 1971, since August 1971, is up over 40 times. That's more than more than the stock market before dividends are reinvested, admittedly. But no, I mean, I just bought, I just bought a small, small position in a um, gold mining ETF to just leverage, leverage the gold, gold bet. Um, it's not going to make or break my portfolio, but I just thought I'd have a dabble. You interested in gold, Michael? Well, if you look at the charts, breaking multi-year highs, so I think that, it, I the think price is telling back. you that something's changing. Yeah, it's going to pull back I short think, term. I think it'll, I think it'll pull back. It's gone very quickly up upwards. Well, we spoke four, maybe a month ago about it when it was yeah. It's, it's put on a hundred dollars in the last three three four yeah, weeks. Yeah, yeah. So you'd think there's some sort of pause for breath, but. Mm. The macro backdrop of, you know, you seem to have a currency war going on. You've got an interest rate war going on. The German bond market now, which other you know people are picking up on, is now negative right the way across the yield curve from short-term bonds to 30-year bonds. You've got $15 trillion worth of, of debt now, of traded debt on the markets with, with negative yields. And, you know, the only reason to own that is if you believe it's going to go more negative, which it might do. But if you're, you know, you're looking for income, you are not going to get income. It's it's moved away from a meagre income, apart from the US Treasury market, and I'm quite bullish on US Treasuries. Um, they, they've come back a lot. I think they could go all the way to zero for what it's worth. Still, still get a bit, a bit of income off UK uh, of gilts. Gilts about 0.5, You're about what one point seven on, on US treasuries. Although we do, we, we publish the UK yield curve, and uh, in relation to sort of uh, a three month and a one year history as well. And I mean, it's, it's sagged. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's drooped what it, I, quite what, substantially recently. But what I find fascinating about this is the mess, the different messages that are being given by the bond market and the equity market. And the bond market is saying bad things are ahead. There's bad things ahead in the road. And that's not consistent with equity markets and valuations of various types of shares that are very, very high. 
Who are you going to trust, though, Phil? I, I would. I, I have the highest regard for the bond market and, and people who they people who work first. in the bond market. Yeah, they want uh, to protect what they have. A little upside. Yeah, I think some incredibly smart people who work in the bond market. I'm not saying there aren't in the equity market, <laughs> but um, it just seems to me that w- they both can't be right. And I think you've still got this. There is no alternative story driving the stock market in that. You're getting no yield on cash. You're getting no yield on bonds. Let's go for where there is some yield, and let's go into equities. But what you're forgetting, if you play, if you subscribe to that view, you've got to be mindful of the fact that these equity valuations are not just about yield; they have implications of growth. And if those those growth forecasts don't come through, you're going to lose money. Let's let's talk about that dichotomy because you've talked to your alpha report this week about. If you want to buy into equities, you should be looking for quality. Yeah, always. Which is which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah. But even now, you know, discerning what quality means is becoming more difficult. In your column, you talk about the fact that if you have a quality company but it's not delivering growth, yeah, then then essentially it's a waste of time. Yeah, I mean, at the end, the end of the day, you're buying a whatever, whatever company you're looking at, whether it's the best business in the world. Or, or the worst business in the world. You are essentially, when you buy the shares in that company, you're buying a claim on the future cash flows that that business will produce. Now, if I've got a really low margin, battered up, tired old business that's growing a little bit, that's actually better than buying the best business in the world, perhaps, where the profits aren't growing and going down because you're essentially you you can be buying particularly in this market you're being asked to pay very high price just because of quality and i think this quality investing theme something i'm a massive fan of but i've been going on for a long time now thinking this is a very very crowded trade and i just don't think for a lot of the companies out there that the growth that these companies are delivering and not consistent with the high valuations that are being put on the shares. So, so the example you've used in your column is Croda, yep. which we talked about when we did our pubcast from, uh, we did, from yeah. Sunny Morden the other week. But it's a theme that seems to be coming through in a lot of the results we're looking at. So you, you've been about Spirax. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'll be... Inter- like, Intercontinental Hotels. Intercontinental Hotels. You know, they've got, what, 2% profit growth. To be fair to them, they're more modestly rated, but... You know, Spirax's profit growth was 3% and her shares that were trading on 31 times earnings. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Intercont- your tra- your, tra- yeah, your trading radar goes up there. You know, yeah. we, had, we mentioned Fevertree. You know, Fevertree profit growth was only 7% a few weeks ago on something that's on 40 times earnings. And, you know, I totally get the idea why you would want to own a slice of, of resilient, businesses with strong franchises but at the end of the day this it's it's the growth element and yes you can make money and you can trade this and you can make short-term money particularly if you're buying into an earnings upgrade cycle but if you're into if that earnings upgrade cycle isn't there and this is a thing that did for spirax this week you know not just not just the the uh the sluggish growth and the problems in one of their one of their businesses the rest of the business actually doing really well, but they came out and said actually, the growth forecast for the steam business that's going to come down a lot in the second half of the year, and therefore 
we think profit our profit forecasts aren't going to change and the shares sell off. I think it's quite interesting. And you, there's a line in your Alpha report, which I, I thought was, uh, which summed this up really neatly. You said, all this adds up to expected profits being in line. With, this is for Spirex, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this adds up to expected profits being in line with the current expectations, which is what you'd want to see. Yeah. But the stock market valuation needs upgrades. So, yeah. So, yeah, you know, when we see an RNS, we want things to be in line. Mm. But, but investors are increasingly asking for more than that. Yeah, and, that, and 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 there's loads of examples of. This. So let's take you know, take stop. You probably know quite a bit about Mike. Is is, is boohoo, right? boohoo. Right? Yeah. So this is something that traded on a couple of years ago. Traded on a hundred times earnings because it had loads and loads of upgrades. And since then, apart from obviously we've had a bit of corporate activity this week. We do. Well, it seems to be turning into a bit of a Mike Ashley there. Just buy, buy, a, but, buy a load of old junk that, yeah. uh, that's gone bust. Well, uh, hey, whatever. That's strategy. I don't think. <laughs> we'll see. But the point I'm making is that since then, those shares have traded sideways or down, and they've traded in a range because there's been no upgrades. Mm. And because the valuation is so high, the potential buyer of that stock says, how am I going to make money buying a share at this high valuation when there's not an upgrade there? Is it, Michael, is, that, is, that, is upgrade, you know, the upgrade cycle, the upgrade part, something that, you're looking it for does help. Trader. It does help. But with Boohoo, what I've noticed is the price is actually coming back to those highs. And if you look in 2017, when they had very good results, they actually sold off on big volume. And I pointed that out as a warning that, things might be changing. And in two years, they haven't actually made a new high. But now, they're getting to that new high. And I might actually buy them for a trade. I'm not entirely sure on the fundamentals. You'd have to talk about that, Phil. But I've not looked at the deal. For a trade, I think it looks quite good, I think if it breaks that high. The Karen Millen story this week, I've not really looked at it, so I can't I can't really comment. But obviously, that is something that is piquing interest back into Boohoo. I guess that's I guess that sometimes what, it, you, what you need is a, 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 bit, a bit, of a corporate, bit of corporate news. But it's about it's about expectations. It's 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 about the expectations that the market has for for a company's profits now. If those expectations are being continually revised upwards, you get a momentum, an upwards momentum trade. To be fair to Boohoo, they do seem to have structured, structured this deal in a slightly different way to perhaps some of uh, Mike Ashley's recent deals. They, they don't, they're not interested in any of the bricks and mortar stuff. It's, it's the pure but, online business. But the thing, but the thing it's about, pre- it, mm. it's, it, but the thing about Boohoo, John, even though its shares have traded in a range, the company has still been churning out excellent results. The trouble is, is, is what's factored into the share price. If it's not better than what people expect and you've got a high valuation, the shares have got nowhere to go. Yeah, no, no, That's I, from a sort of fundamental trading perspective. That, that could be why they're consolidating for the past two yeah, years. I think so that, we I, might see further growth and people buy into that growth. Could well do. But the, right. but the high street back, back, backdrop is horrible. It's and not good. It, I, and I know that you know retail is something you look at as a trader. We talked about it earlier. It's, uh, we did a recent uh, a recent trade of yours. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm short MKS Marks MKS. and Spencers. It's a small position, but if you look on the chart, those 2008 2009 lows are I think one eight three pence, and I think if that goes, it's in trouble. And if you look the valuation, I think it's about three three point six billion. What is there? I mean, there's four billion of property on the balance sheet. I think one point five billion of debt. I'd have yeah. to check again. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. But what's in that equity? I mean, the the stores I go in there and it's terrible. 
I just don't think that it's a very good proposition. I think it's overvalued. Could it become another Debenhams? I'm not. It's very different because it's got huge amount of profit property. So Oxford Circus, things like that, in prime positions. But if revenues keep going down and the high street keeps taking a battering, where could that be in a couple of years? I mean, we'll see. But for me, it's that key level. And if that goes, a lot of people are going to be watching that level and a lot of people are going to short it. So that's the level for me, 183. And I've got a starter position now, but I'm quite happy to to average into that position and, and get short a bit more. I do, I do I do find it interesting that, I mean, although you say you only care about the price and, and the yeah. chart, but you, you are talking about fundamentals here. Which, well, yeah, I use fundamentals for ideas because you, you can, if you can get a narrative, then you can find ideas. And if you can find something that backs up your ideas along with the price action, then it might be a good trade. Yeah. But ultimately, the price matters because it doesn't matter how good or bad a stock is. If it's going up and you're long, you've made money. I mean, that that's pure and simple as a trader. That's what you want to do. And if something's really good, but it's going down and you're short, well, you've made money. Yeah, And absolutely. that's what matters. Talking to the High Street, Phil, going back to our, our uh, podcast, uh, Home Bargains. I went, yeah. to, I went to buy some... Uh, well, I went to buy something that I didn't end up buying, but I bought something else, which was beer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's astonishing. What it, I mean, what it does, it, it's very, as you say, very narrow... But the price is unbeatable. I, I I think this has implications for for trading, as I think you know, high street trading, as you said when we spoke a few weeks back. It's 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 crazy. I think it's arguably the best brand discounter out there. Mm-hmm. But B and M is like it too. So I, uh, I, just, I just think it's an interesting model, and I think I think it's as, as we said a couple of weeks ago. I think I think you're right. I think this is this is a story. This discounting private label value. Has got got legs in it still. I'll tell you something I've never found to be of especially decent value. That's a Domino's pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know a single person who's ever paid full price for Domino's pizza. Yeah, it's still expensive though. Still, even at fifty percent off, they're still expensive. It yeah. is incredibly right, expensive. Yeah, and and you've written about them this week, Phil. And I know this is this is a company you really don't like very much at all. I used to like it, and it just just shows you that. You know, you go th- investing is like a journey. You know, you look at you look at a company, you get to know a company, and you learn about it as it as the as the company itself goes through its its journey, uh, its strategy, and its and its day to day existence. You learn more and more about it. And um, up to about two or three years ago, this was a f- fantastic story. But what what's clear now, and I think what's what's really fascinating about about this company is that one of the reasons why people used to love this stock is because it was a franchising business. Um, franchising businesses can be very lucrative for the franchisor. So you've got Domino's as a franchisor, McDonald's as a franchisor, Intercontinental Hotels as franchisors. So what happens is that all the costs or the large amount of the costs of running the physical business get lumped with the franchisee they then pay back royalty payments and in domino's domino's um, actually makes most of its money from selling pizza ingredients to its franchisees but what what's absolutely key about a business like this is that a franchising business for the from the franchisor's point of view can only be as healthy as its franchisees businesses are 
And what's happening with Domino's here is that we've got a real standoff um, between it and its franchisees. And its franchisees are very powerful. There are one or two very, very big franchisees that control about nearly 40% of the all the UK outlets. And they're a bit grumpy about a couple of things, really. First one is things like ingredients prices, particularly the cheese price. That moves around. Domino seems to be very quick to pass on any increase in price to the franchisees, but maybe not so much in terms of taking it back when it goes down. Isn't that the same everywhere? <laughs> same everywhere. That would annoy me. Big criticism of the electricity <laughs> companies, of course, the energy companies. The other thing, though, and this is the thing that you know I've been bearish on Domino's because of it, is this strategy of growing by splitting its territories. Now, in layman's terms, splitting territories, the best way to describe it is that if you live in a town where there used to be two Domino's pizzas, there's now a third one. So you... You're basically your selling territory's got a bit smaller. Your selling territory's got a bit smaller. But this is an issue for the franchisees because what happens or what is happening is that the third store takes sales, takes yeah, sales yeah. from the first store and the second store. And potentially the third store doesn't make enough to get up to accept, acceptable levels of profitability. So you can be a franchisee in an area and you can find, you open up a new store, you're put under pressure to open a new store because the only way that Domino's can keep growing is to have this ambition to get from sort of 1,150 stores to, say, 1,600 in the UK. The only way it can do this is by splitting its territory yeah. and it's hurting the profits of the people that it's reliant on. There is another way. And that's to expand outside of your, the home country, to, to, to go into that market. and it's and not it's, working. It, it's not working at all, is it? No, it's not working. The Germans don't like overpriced, quite doughy pizza. <laughs> but the Germans have got uh, Derners, which are very oh, good. because yeah, you spent some time at them. I did, and they are fantastic. And I never once had Domino's in Germany because I didn't need to. What are, what are these things? So they're like Derners. a kebab right. with a typical uh, Donner kebab, as you would say in English, with uh, spiced lamb meat. All the vegetables, salad, garlic sauce, whatever sauce you they're, want. They're, chili, just not, they're just not into pizza then. Top tier food. <laughs> Very cheap as well. And when you, when you look at Domino's, what, are you paying £10 for a margarita pizza? I mean, that is just insane. It is. It's a lot. It's it, a lot to pay for. I think affordability is, is an issue. I mean, you look at, you know, if you just look at some of the stuff that, you know, that the supermarkets are putting out now in terms of their sort of ready meals, take-home meals, pizzas, they're getting pretty sophisticated. Well, I, I noticed in, uh, in Morrison's, they're, they're kind of bundling stuff, so it's as though it's a takeaway. Yeah. I know they've been trying that for years, and I know the product quality's not always been there, but... Uh... But I agree. You know, you order, you know, you want to order a takeaway pizza from, not just Domino's, but Papa John's and your Pizza Hut's of this world, and it's, you know, quite a serious outlay of cash. But my my sort of question now on... On Domino's is whether this UK franchising business is actually broken now, and whether whether it can be fixed, and whether it can be fixed in a way that allows Domino's to grow its sales and its profits without mm. really hurting the profits of the franchisees. And we've now got pretty much a, a boycotting of new store openings, and this looks to be a really difficult. Difficult position. The chief executive is retiring, 
but a new chief executive comes going to have to try and sort this out. And you just, you know, Domino's has got nearly 50% of this market. How is it actually physically going to get much bigger without cannibalizing? And we've seen cannibalization. You know, great example of cannibalization was um, Restaurant Group a few years ago. It was cannibalizing itself, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was opening up. It's two different brands next door to each other. They still do that. You know the Army and Navy roundabout? I do, yeah, yeah. And they had had a, what was it, a Chiquitos next to Frankie's and Ben's. Yeah. And the Chiquitos went, and now the Frankie's and Ben's. (laughs) (laughs) The Frankie and Ben's is terrible. There's a general general oversupply in the industry anyway. There's, there's, There's too many restaurants chasing too few shoppers, too few diners. And I, I just, just wonder whether Domino's now, this this standoff, it's got to the limits of where it can expand to now. I mean, the market doesn't seem very sure. Mark, Michael, have a look at that chart. I mean, it's not sure, is it? It's not really sure where this is going. It's uh... Well, it's, it's, it's coming up to a new low, in which case I'd be interested in a short. But it's been bouncing around for a while. It has been. But as I said last week, that level where the shares are bouncing off is significant. And if it takes out that low, then the price is telling you that something's changed. Mm. And you get trend followers jumping on that, shorters jumping on that. I think it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when the share's going down. People think it's going down, so they think, sell and, and shorters jump on board. I think some people have always clung clung to the hope that someone might come and buy it. So Domino's Pizza's Enterprises, owner of the Australian master franchise for, for Domino's, as has been touted in the past as a possible buyer, but whether you'd want to take this on with you know you've got a loss making European business, you've got a UK business which is yes it's still growing a little bit, but it's got a lot of problems with you know underneath the bonnet shall we say whether you want to take that on and pay a big premium for it I, I'm not so sure. We have seen lots of bids recently, but uh, yeah maybe uh, maybe don't don't fool your. Uh all your eggs in this this basket. Let's talk about let's talk about the big story of the week. I know you've all been waiting with bated breath for this. Obviously Burford is the big story of the week. It's one where where you know the the price has sort of led a lot of the action over the last couple of days. Uh and I know, I know unfortunately for you Michael you want to train with Desert London. Yeah. <laughs> you most of it. I know say <laughs> it's not the worst place to be. So Which is great because we can talk fun. we yeah. can talk about it. So <laughs> Burford, um, which is a litigation financing company um, that this week found itself uh, on the receiving end of what you would call a, uh, a short attack. Bear Raid, I mean, there's subtle differences Bear between raid. these things. Yeah. A company called uh, Muddy Waters, which if you've seen a, a documentary on Netflix called The China Hustle. It's a very good documentary. Really, really it's good. very good. Um, I recommend everyone to watch that, by the way. I think so everyone should watch that. It, yeah, they should. Because this stuff goes on even on the London market, and people don't realise. Well, well, actually, you know, what I will say before we, we move on to the Burford story is having, I, you know, I'd seen these guys at work over the years. Uh, Quindell was the, the kind of first one I think I really paid attention to, which was an attack by uh, an outfit called Gotham capital gotham city i can't remember exactly what gotham the whole batman thing um but they were they were kind of right in the end but the whole thing was it was a it was a very strange experience to, to, to be watching this but muddy waters when i saw them on this china hustle documentary they, they, they seemed like serious guys mm, they and are. I, I think they are serious guys so they put out a tweet at half one on monday saying what are they called it? They said, we're going to have blackout now until 8 o'clock. Yeah, it was very dramatic, wasn't it, John? 8 o'clock. A, a news blackout. News blackout. Like that. Yeah. 8 o'clock, London time. And <laughs> yeah. I guess everyone said, wow. London time? Oh, wow. London? 
got to be a London company. It's got to be a London company. Yeah. So speculation started to, to mount. And then about half an hour later, you started to see the, the share price mm. of Burford moving down. I think a couple of others were going as well, but but this one really gathered some momentum. And it's got the next morning, nothing came. I think the share price bounced a little bit at 10 o'clock. Uh, it did. Morning. Yeah, you would have had to have some minerals for that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there was a fair play to those who traded that. There was a good little scalp there. But it was perfect. And, they and put out a when very it lame... came out, it really did dump straight away into auction down big style. And I think it got down to about sort of 65% down on the day. It had already been down. It was already down 20% the day mm-hmm. before when, the, when, it, when it was just rumour. Yeah. Um, so, so this this was kind of crazy, and you know we know this is a popular stock with uh, with uh, retail investors uh, who've made a lot of money out of it over the years. Um, anyway, the next development was obviously Burford had they put out a statement even before we, the Muddy Waters report had come out. They put out an- another statement when it did come out saying they were going to refute it, and then today they've actually put something out saying here is our defence document, and the shares of when we last looked they're up about forty percent today. Mm-hmm. So this has been a roller coaster. It has. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, from our perspective on the investors' chronicle, it's kind of like, what do? How? I mean, we can't react quickly enough mm-hmm. to really do much about this. Traders, traders, you can. And we talked about putting a short on you, putting a short on. We trying did. Last yeah, week. I, I did. I, I know did we had. Try. You yeah, had your eye on it. I did hear from from other people that some of the less well known brokers did. Have Burford Capital short. Well, you but, you struggled, didn't you? To get, I, to get I tried. Around. I tried IG and Spread X. Couldn't get anything. And that's that was even before the Muddy Waters rumor. Uh, that was before, rumor came out. Yeah, and I think the stock dropped quite a bit before. And that that was the trade that I was talking about. But if you'd have ran your winners, you would have struck gold because this thing did come out, and it was Burford, and it's just absolutely dumped. And and those are the trades that you sort of dream of that. You know, you might be long something and all of a sudden a takeover comes or things like this. But it it's not nice for private investors because this thing has just completely obliterated them. And well, I think I mean, right. you said that, they may, I mean, they've, they've kind of back a long way from where, where they were sort of, uh, you know, close by yesterday. You know, it's it's come back. And, and, and I guess that there, is, there is a sort of, uh, I, 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 listen, I don't want anyone to lose money. On no, of course uh, not. Of course I don't. Um, it's not nice. Equally, this is a fascinating story. This is a fascinating story that, that it kind of shines a holds a mirror up to many things going on in the market. Behaviors, good and bad. Um, you know, both both on the side of, of perhaps those interested in short selling, those those you know buying shares that they think are going to rise a lot just because they're going to mm-hmm. because they think they're going to rise a lot. And there there are loads of things going on here that I think we need to talk about. Phil, I know you're not <laughs> a big fan of companies like this. Um, as I alluded to in my editorial this week, mainly because they're really hard to understand. Yeah, yeah, this is this is a difficult one. Um, it seems that there's so much going on, so many ways of presenting your profit in terms of estimates, judgments, um, timing, um, and just generally very very complicated sets of numbers you know they look you know i was I, one of the reasons i can't invest or wouldn't invest in banks is because you know i look at the numbers and i don't really understand what's going on and you know you look at something like this and I, I, just, I just can't do it you said to me earlier i want to see how i want to see the cash moving through the business yeah so when i look at any any business you want to see how everything links together so you want to see how 
things move from revenues, profits, cash flows to the balance sheet. And this, I mean, I'm not saying you can't do it with this, but it's quite hard. It takes too much work. There's a lot, a lot of work needed. And you know the first, you know, the first thing you, you know, you look at, you look at a company like this, and I mentioned this on Twitter you know, yesterday. So I spent, I'm a great believer in trying to keep things as simple as possible. So when you look at businesses, your first place to really go to is look at look at the cash flow statement, look at the cash coming in, look at the cash going out of the business. And, and, and I think I read yesterday this company hasn't actually had an operational, operationally positive cash flow for. 2013. I think there was a little bit of trading cash inflow in the half-year results. Okay. Um, but nowhere near the level of profits this. No, but, but you have to be careful with this because, you know, companies can present their trading cash flow in many different ways. And Burford presents its cash flow after the funding. So it funds these new cases the outflow of of money related to the funding is netted off before you get to the operating cash flow but the, but this in itself is something that should set off a, an alarm or a sort of i get your eyes up when you see a business that doesn't generate either trading cash flow or net or free cash flow you've got to ask yourself why generally if you have a lot of confidence, to have confidence in the numbers of a company, you want to see the profits turn into cash flow, mm. uh, or you want to see a way of where you can sort of see a kind of an adjustment, and you think, okay, yeah, there's real, there's real cash there. Because whilst there's a huge investor preference for companies that generate lots of free cash flow, it's not necessarily a bad thing. If a company has negative or cash outflows, as long as that cash flow is invested and it's going to come back later on with a big whopping return on the money you spent, which I guess, which I guess was also the reason why Burford was able to sort of carry that story because the idea was that it's going to invest in these cases and the returns will be huge. And that you know, one of the one of the points of the Muddy Waters report is that it's been overstating what those returns might be. Now, obviously. Burford has rebutted that, but uh, but but you know, Muddy Waters were not the first people to say this, and you know, this is what I find quite interesting too. <laughs> so, Can Accord, uh, broker Can Accord, put something out saying pretty similar things back in April. The share price reaction was nowhere near the same. Muddy Waters has has caused an absolute, you know, storm here. Is it is it because of the way? And this is I say this asking you as a trader, Mike. Mm-hmm. Have, have they somehow magnified this effect in the way they've gone about it? Well, they've they've got a good reputation, and you've got to look at 2016. They accused St Jude's Medical of their implantable medical devices and pacemakers of being hackable. Now, of course, the company refuted this, took them to court. The US Food and Drug Administration were on the side of Muddy Waters, so they they've done their research. And that, to me, tells me that they're probably right. So they've got that reputational backing where mm. people think, okay, I know how this has gone in the past. 
It's probably going to be the same way. So a bit a heavier hitter. Heavier hitter, yeah. I mean, I could have done all that research and posted it, and no one would have cared. Everyone would have said, "Oh, you're wrong." Do you, what do you What do you feel about the you know the idea that they can say you know yeah uh, yeah harvest one the day before we're going to put something out and, and the speculation it's dramatic, isn't it? the, yeah. the, the drama almost almost creates the more of an impact when actually yeah. when it hits the next day. Well, their goal is to make a profit. So the more drama that they have around it, mm. the better it seems to them. And and if if you look at the original tweet, they didn't actually say Burford. That was Twitter people and bulletin board speculators saying it was Burford. And then the next day, Burford put an RNS saying, we believe such actions are not right. Or, I can't remember the exact phrase, but they were basically attacking something where nobody had actually said anything. So that, to me, was a big red flag. And as it turned out, it was Burford and, and the share price tanked. But I would bet that Muddy Waters are on the on the money here. Mm. Interesting. I wouldn't bet either. <laughs> <laughs> I um, think the issue, the issue with... The thing that intrigues me about this... Now, I, I've no idea. I've not looked at this in depth to know whether there's good or bad things going on here. But what I do know is that when you have a have a business that generates doesn't doesn't bring in cash flow eventually you have to go and you have to get the financing somewhere well they have raised a lot of money and they're yeah. talking about raising more money now so so be hard for them now you know businesses that keep going back for money time and time and time again sooner or later the person that's giving you the money is going to say look when am i going to get this back you know there's this jam tomorrow type story and you know that 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 will be a real a real test of of uh, of the company in the next few weeks and months. I haven't said that. I mean, people have not worried about piling back in today. I mean, you know, the company's re- obviously refuted the the allegations with some quite fruity language themselves. It, yeah, it has to be said. Uh... But eventually, as an investor in any company, you have to you have to eventually see the cash. And I'm not saying that Burford won't you won't see the cash. But you know, you're being asked to wait a long time for this. You know, to keep to keep investing and investing and investing and investing and and deferring that day when the cash comes back. You know, you're asking investors to put more and more faith in your ability. And I can understand why someone just looks at this and starts questioning it. We had, we had an interesting. Um... Response to our discussion on this podcast last week, uh, Michael, from uh, from someone on Twitter who okay. said, oh, uh, having listened to your podcast this, last week, I put a, a stop in on my birthday. Oh, yeah, we did. And yeah, we saved some John. money. Yeah, well, good for him. So, so, so actually, you know, perhaps there is, I mean, I, I find it kind of weird that people buy into companies that they don't understand, but there you go. Yeah, um, that's life. But even if you do that, then, then there are ways to protect yourself potentially. I think, you know... If you're running a momentum stock, having having that little bit of downside protection sort of trailing you up as, as mm-hmm. far as that's not a bad idea. I don't think it is. And if you look at the share price, you could have actually known this at about two pounds. Then the share price goes to twenty. You've made money. But we spoke about this last week, John. You you could clearly see there were warning signs because on the results, it spiked up and it came right back down on big volume. And I pointed that out as a an indicator. That, I mean, that's a it's a caution flag because so far the trend had been up for years and years, and past six, seven, eight months, it's gone sideways. Mm. And there's a reason for that. And you might not know what the reason is, 
But eventually you find out because the chart tells you. And it, it's the case with so many profit warnings. Stocks will start drifting down before they announce the profit warning. Or even with placings, what happens with placings is is people short them. So I'll get made inside on a stock and I'll see the share price dump the same day, presumably, because insiders are selling. And, and these things show up in the charts. So I think if an investor, I get, Phil, that you should be looking at the cash flows of the business because that's what you're investing in. But you should really be looking at the charts because the charts tell you what the market is thinking or what the market is doing. And, and that can protect you. Sounds to, me, sounds to me like you should have a sort of a, an arsenal of, of, of different yeah, approaches. Yeah, of course. Uh, there's, def- there's, definitely, you know, there's definitely information in the chart. It's just a question of whether that information is already baked in. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I, I suspect the story has somewhere to run. Uh, we'll be talking about this uh, yeah. in the weeks ahead, and maybe you'll be trading it. But uh, Maybe I will. We'll yeah, see. I mean, I price is up to about what, nine, eight, nine quid by the, by the time we came in here. But, it's done uh, pretty well if you were buying a four yeah. quid yesterday. Absolutely. I have to say, the one thing that I that came out of the Muddy Waters report, accounting aside, there's some serious corporate governance reflecting this company I really don't like at all. Um, but what's interesting is I'd never seen any of these corporate governance flags raised no. until yesterday, and, and yet it is an efficient market. Muddy Waters didn't have any inside information. They've pulled this. Anyone could have done it, but nobody did. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah, it's a great example of how stuff that's out there particularly annual reports just don't get read people don't read them stuff things at the bottom professional people professional investors them. it's amazing I, this is why i'm such a big fan of annual reports because i know that lots of people the vast majority of investors don't read them and they're packed full of useful information one of the red flags that muddy walls has highlighted was that they don't disclose or differentiate the executive remuneration in their wage bill yeah. I thought because, I thought that was ruled, to be honest. I thought it was as well. Apparently not. Uh, and apparently it's to do with the, the, the fact that they're Guernsey listed. That's the that's a, that's a horrible <laughs> red flag for me. Oh, you, you already know enough, don't you? Yeah, but, well, yeah. There, there you go. Uh, and I won't even mention the fact that the uh, chief financial officer is also the wife of the chief executive. But, <laughs> hey, you know, keep it in the family and all yeah. that. But all, all this work could have been done. Yeah, so There is opportunity out there to make money. Muddy Long Water, or short. Muddy Waters did it. And, and they did. And they, they've made a lot of money. They have, well, they, on and paper. They've, well. On paper. I would I would imagine they've probably been closing some. I mean, why would you not? If, I, you which know, could also explain the price. Yeah. Better yeah, covering. As well. Yeah, of course. I, despite whatever the conclusions are of this and whether they're right or wrong, there's no doubt here that someone, there's been a group of people here have done a huge amount of intensive research, and I think hats off for that. Yeah, I, I I agree. Like I said, you know, having having seen them speak through the China Hustle documentary, and also they put out some videos yesterday. I mean, they're not they're not these are not they're not spivs spivs. No. You know, they're they're not some they're serious proper, people. Some proper shovel work being done here, and you know, there's arguably as as Michael's just touched on, not enough of this gets done, and that's that's where your opportunities exist. That is a big question is about why why people who had invested lots of money in this company didn't weren't doing that shovel shovel work as you said. But th- that I suspect is a discussion for another time. I think because so. we've run out of time. <laughs> um, let me just talk you through what else we've got in the magazine this week. Actually, we 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 have a Gordon Gecko on the cover. <laughs> quite in a quite. This we we this happened before we even knew about the kind of spivery going on on the markets this week. 
Um, it's actually to illustrate our feature on. Um, uh, it's actually to illustrate our feature on ESG investing. Uh, Algae's actually, we've written about this before, but Algae's taken it on and started looking individually at companies and, and how they stack up on ESG measures and why this, this actually might be a very good way for fundamental investors to be looking at companies. Uh, you know, what's good for the world is actually quite good for companies and their profits too. Uh, and this might actually start flowing through to returns. And he's got lots of evidence to suggest that might be the case. It's been a horrific week on the results front, really. We've, we've barely touched on, uh, on any of them. Um, I say horrific. That's very interesting, um, but horrific. We are trying to read all these pages and get this magazine out in in, uh, in double quick time. Uh, lots of the personal finance funds section, which they will talk about this week. John Barron has updated uh, his investment trust portfolio, and uh, and and uh, lots in the uh, the news section as well, including our Burford write up. But but uh, there's been a couple of other horrible profit warnings this week. Serious serious minerals was the yeah. uh, was the other biggie. Um, and uh, yeah, some uh, another detailed look at what what is happening with the sort of broad money markets and and the possibilities of a UK rate cut on the way in the uh, the new spotlights. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Michael, for coming in again. Thanks, John. Uh, thank you, Phil. Good to have good to have you back from your holes. Pick up the magazine and all good news agents. Green is good. Why what's good for investors no longer needs to be bad for society. Uh, and we will be back again next week. Thank you. The late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts.